Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. We're back, Billy. McGregor fight week, baby. Let's do it. Biggest, our first pay-per-view of the, of the year. Um, we got a lot to get into, but this is our first episode of 2021. So we're going to be kicking off the new year here. We got two cards to recap, and then we're going to dive right into this weekend's fight. Um, Billy, I've got like 40 to 45 minutes, so let's Let's rip, rip it. baby. Um, all right. Without further ado, let's jump on in. So, um... All right, Max Holloway was back in action, uh, taking on Calvin Cater. Uh, that was what last Wednesday, or was that Saturday? That was a Saturday. Saturday. Card. Saturday. Um, Max, Max looked absolutely phenomenal over five rounds. Uh, cruised to a dominant decision win over Calvin Cater, who Billy and I have been very high on over the last year or so. Uh, Billy, what did you make of Max's performance last Saturday? Look, it, it's super impressive, right? It's the highest output fight we've literally ever seen from a UFC fighter in a matchup that's two right. top five, top six guys at 145. I mean, the no-look punches and the slips and the robot in the cage, like these are career highlights for Max. Like It's going to be him demolishing Aldo, him pointing to the ground against Ricardo Lamas, and then this fight on his career highlight reel. Um but I do think we're giving him a little too much credit here, right? Like, it takes two to tango. Hater. Hater. It, 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 we need to talk about Qatar's game plan. It needs to be part of this conversation if we're going to talk about the implications of this fight because at the end of the day, like, this was Max's lowest-ranked opponent he's fought since 2016. And I think it's worth remembering, like, how skilled Max Holloway is, but at the same time, this is he is that skilled and we know he's that skilled because the only time he fights low level competition or lower level competition to what he's used to is situations like this and obviously we saw what that kind of performance looked like. Yeah, and it's like it's not his fault that he's, you know, been fighting title fights and number one contenders for the last four or five years. But um It is his fault, yeah, but for in me a good it way. Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, the more and more I've been hating on Billy all week for having that stance, but the more and more I look at it, I, I agree that uh, Calvin Cater is obviously not Alexander Volkanovsky or not Brian Ortega. But at the end of the day, it's still a top five fighter in one of the best, hottest divisions in the UFC. So, I mean, that's you got to give the credit to Max. So for Max, I thought it was a master class. I thought it was probably one of his top three performances ever, you know, albeit the competition level is not the same in a title fight or number one contender fight. But you look at the numbers, it's like, man, he shattered every record. He had 744 significant strikes attempted in the fight, 445 strikes landed in the fight, 274 head strikes landed in the fight, 
and 117 body strikes landed in the fight, which were the most in its categories ever. So regardless of the opponent, to do that in a UFC fight against a top five opponent is just incredible. You know, it's something only, I think, you know, Max and maybe like Joanna Jędrzejczyk have the capability of pulling off with that kind of pressure and output. But, um, yeah, for me it was great. The the round five – was that round five where he did the look away – uh yeah i think i think that's going to go down that's going to be added to highlight reels you know forever you know that was that was special that was one of those special moments and max has had like you said a couple of those throughout his career um so yeah that was awesome um let me see what else all right let's billy let's uh talk a little bit more about max so with this dominant win still 20 28 years old um you know been in the ufc for almost 10 years uh where do you think this puts max in his career right now in the UFC. Look, this doesn't, this fight, what my point is in all of this is not to criticize Max or say like, you know, that it doesn't mean anything, but this fight did not change my opinion of Max Holloway. Max Holloway, to me, was this same great fighter with kind of a, a couple new tricks. I mean, his his hook to the body, kind of that fake straight hook to the body uh, little combo that he was throwing with a lot of, success against Cater, that's new. Um, his kicks were, you know, had some new dimensions to him. Um, certainly his his work, you know, legs, body, teep kick kind of thing. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, he's at the top of this division. He's been at the top of this division. The only guy who's even come close to beating him at 145, or did beat him, right, is Alexander Volkanovsky. Um He's next in line for a title shot. He's continuing to push Jose Aldo for best 145er of all time. But the fact of the matter is, like, this did not change my opinion about how a trilogy fight with Alexander Volkanovsky goes. It's still an extremely close fight where he's not going to be able to throw that amount of strikes. And it doesn't necessarily change my opinion that in order for him to continue to push Aldo for the greatest featherweight of all time he needs to get the belt back and so if he can't beat Volkanovsky it's kind of hard for Max to move up the pecking order no matter how good of a performance he puts on yeah I well I'll, I'll say to me it just was kind of a friendly reminder of like how many levels him and Volkanovsky are above you know where we think the rest of the division is like you know, we saw Calvin Cater has put on competitive fights with highly ranked guys, and Max went out there and just made him look absolutely amateur. So I think there's a – we may think that division is, like, super stacked right now, but you, those two guys and maybe Ortega right now are clearly the top three guys in the division. Uh, for Max, I mean, he's still – like I said, he's still under 30. Uh, he's going into his prime. I think he's got a lot left to give. You know, I, I don't expect – any significant fall off, especially after that performance um, from Max, and his durability is still there. He's, you know, he's probably got the best chin ever in MMA. You know, maybe next to like Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier's got a phenomenal chin too. But um, yeah, and I, another thing I'll add is I think Max Max is t- has a great team and a great support staff around him that they're kind of isolated in Hawaii they kind of fly under the radar a little bit but he's got a phenomenal team around him and they keep getting better and I know it didn't look like 
you don't think it was a lot of added things, but I, I saw it differently. When I was watching that, I was like, wow, Max has really added a lot to his game. He's got the teeth. He's got the spinning kicks. He's got the vicious elbows. Um, the pace is always going to be there. So, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I, I think I think those two losses to Volkanovski, losing that title, has maybe rejuvenated Max a little bit. I think he's going to get that third fight with Volkanovski, and I'm a lot more excited than I was you know, for the second fight going into this trilogy against Volkanovski or, or Ortega. But um, all right, so Volkanovski had kind of a similar stance to what you had. is like basically, yeah, Max, it looks a little bit improved, but it's more so on the fact that Calvin's nowhere near his level. So do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, let's deep dive in. I think this is worth spending some time on, right? When... When we talk about a game plan or a strategy of a fighter going in, Max Holloway and Calvin Cater, from a skills perspective, if you saw them like hit in the bag in the gym, like you're probably not going to notice significant differences between the two guys. So the, what it really comes down to is the game plan. So what happened was Calvin Cater, first of all, was routinely circling to Max's power side even when he wasn't forced to. He would circle towards that right hand, and then he would get cracked with it, right? And, like, that is – I don't know about you, Parker, but every time I've ever gone into any striking class, that's kind of a cardinal rule of don't circle to the power side. So for such an experienced boxer, I didn't understand why he was doing that at all. Even in situations – you know, there are times where you, ha- you get forced into it because the guy cuts off the cage or you're pressed up against it. We're talking about center of the octagon – you know, moving along that black line and just moving right into the power shots from Max. And then the other thing was Alexander Volkanovsky showed how effective it was to kind of flash a jab at Max as you're circling so that even if you have to circle that power side, Max kind of reads and reacts and doesn't throw his right hand. And Calvin Cater didn't do that at all. I mean, he was just circling blind into power shots from Max. Like, you know, I'm not trying to take away from Max's output, but, like, it's a lot easier for a guy who's Max Holloway's level of striker to land a UFC record number of strikes when you're literally basically handing it to him on a silver platter. Yeah, but I think you've got to give credit to Max. I mean, no, you can't you can't prepare and you can't train for that pace, period. There's no one like Max Holloway. Um, so True. I think once you get Agreed. in there with him, you know, you, you just you don't believe that he's, you know, hitting you that many times or pushing that pace or keeping that pace for five rounds. There was a meme out today. It's like Calvin Cater in one corner and the other corner is three Max Holloways. And I, I was like looking at that. I'm like, that's how it's got to feel to fight Max Holloway when he's firing on all cylinders. And you saw that, you know, Calvin is he's defending and coming back but he just he could never get going that entire fight and I think that's what Max does to you he takes away the basics because he overwhelms you so much and confuses you and then you know you're shelling up and getting hit with a 12-piece combo you know and maybe three or four of them are landing and hurting you so that's that's Max Holloway at his best that's what he does and I think even with top level fighters it's just overwhelming and you can't get going I mean, you can't land those bombs if he's got you pinned up against the cage just unleashing those, you know, long combos on you. So, yeah. But if if that's the case, if that's if that's how we feel about it, like that's how good Alexander Volkanovsky is. No, because for Max sure. I'm, I'm not land... I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, I'm I'm not disagreeing that, with you at all. He didn't land and... 200 strikes against him. So, 
if if that is well, what and, we're going with, a, if that's yeah, if, a, if it's all credit to Max and not about the Cater game game plan, Alexander Volkanovsky is one of the greatest defensive fighters in the history of the sport. Then, and and his his game plan was was right. I mean, you go in there and you take out Max's legs, you know, early with vicious leg kicks. That stunts the the switch the stance switching, which is you know Max's game that he's constantly switching stances overwhelming you hitting you from weird angles and never stopping but if if you let max holloway just take the lead and and walk you down and walk you against the cage i mean it's not a good recipe and you know maybe maybe calvin cater is just not capable of it and i totally agree with you it's very impressive to see volkanovsky do what he did but i think this is a much improved max holloway and i I want nothing more to, than to see the trilogy from these three guys after watching that performance. But all right, that leaves Look, me. In th- he's get he's getting the next title shot. But for me, this established there's a very clear hierarchy at 145. For sure, it's Volk at the top, Max, then Ortega, then the Korean Zombie. Then there's a huge drop off, and then it's Calvin Cater. Well, but you forget about Yair and Zabit, who have been so do those guys still fight? Do yeah, are they still, still on the fight? roster? Are they still on the roster? I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. That This division's got to get moving if you want to stay relative. If not, it's going to be the three horsemen up at the top. And they're also, just going to keep fighting each other. Also, don't forget, Calvin Cater pushes a beat to the brink in Moscow in a three-round fight that a lot of people think if that goes five rounds, Zabit has that loss to Calvin Cater on his record. I am not I am not convinced that Zabit is on this level at all. And Yair, we just don't see him enough. And we never seen him against elite competition except for getting smashed by Frankie Edgar. So I, I just don't think it's that deep of a division at this point. I don't think they've built enough contenders. Yeah. And another thing that Max switched up is is just the pace from jump. You know, Max usually will ease into a fight a little bit and then come on strong. And I think Cater might have been a little taken off guard by that. I mean, Max, from the, the time the bell rang, was on him and pushing that pace. So, um, great performance. But, all right, that leads me to my next question. So, I think you and I are both in agreement. Uh, Max definitely deserves the next title shot, correct? 100%. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I don't think he's going to take anything other than that. Um, you know, outside of big, big money fights, like I said, maybe – you know, another Poirier fight, uh, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor up at 155. But I don't see the need for him to fight anyone else at 145 until that title fight. Yeah, no way. I think the only way, I think it would be like Conor or Nate um, who he would fight at 55 instead of, you know, just waiting for the shot. But other than that, I think he's waiting for the title shot. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit about the stoppage. Um, so Herb Dean was on the call. Um Round three, round four got a little dicey. Um, Calvin was taking an extreme, extreme beating. Um, did you have any issue with Herb not stopping that fight or the corner not stepping in and stopping it, you know, maybe going into the fifth? Herb's job is to step in when the fighter cannot intelligently defend himself. At no point during that fight could Calvin Cater not intelligently defend himself. Yeah, I He agree. was getting beat. In a, in a sporting contest, in a fight, but like he was, that's not Herb Dean's place to stop, right? That's not his, that's not where he comes in. My problem is you watch your fighter take 272 significant strikes in round three and round four and come to the corner looking like that 
and knowing that he is just getting beat pillar to post and and you're and you are going to let him go out there for round 5 if you're his corner. I mean, mmafighting.com came out with a great article this week on Spencer the King Fisher called The Price to Be the King about kind of the brain damage that comes with MMA. And Spencer Fisher talks about how it was never during the fight. It was never really immediately after the fight. It was years later that he started to feel the effects of getting punched in the head that many times. And like, if you're Calvin Cater's corner, like you got to know your guy doesn't have a chance. The idea that MMA people have like Hail Mary victories all the time or often in fights that are going as badly as that one was going, like is ludicrous. I think the final scorecard was like 50 to 42. Like this was just like a, a bludgeoning. Like you got to throw the towel in. I don't know. What do you think? You've got to have better situational awareness. If you're the corner, I totally agree with you. This is not on Herb Dean at all. But if you're the corner, you look across there. You're looking at one of the best fighters on the planet who's having one of his best performances in his career. The dude's never been dropped in 24 fights. Um, yeah, I agree. After three and four, you know, you're you're firing back, yes. But Max is never, ever in trouble. Um I think you got to live to fight another day if you're these these fighters in these corners because that's the reality. Look, if if Cater is a jujitsu guy, I I'm more understanding of this. Right, Calvin Cater in that situation is looking as five minutes to knock out Max Holloway for the first time in his illustrious MMA career. Right, I'm sorry, like throw the towel fight another day. Yeah, if not, I mean, you only have Max said it all all week in the lead up. I mean, you only have one brain, you know. So these guys can only take so much beating and so much of a beating. And a fight like this is a fight that changes your fighter, you know, forever. You know, Calvin Cater may never come back the same. Um, there was no vicious, you know, knockout, but it's five twenty five minutes of just getting it's taking punishment. Significant yeah. strikes. Yeah, it's. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I, I don't know. I would like to see something, and maybe when we get some coaches on and, and stuff like that, we could talk about this. But like, there's got to be a program that can be installed to educate these guys on like what is the threshold for stopping the fight. You know, I, I think it's one of those things in MMA. It's just looked at as like you know you're being soft. You're being soft if you stop the fight. I've heard Anthony Smith talk about this. I think when he was getting what was it the Glover fight when he was getting beat to death he was like I straight up tell my corner you you're not able to stop the fight do not ever stop the fight and I I think that's short-sighted and I I do I do agree this the sport's still super young you saw what happened in football I think we're going to see a lot of that in MMA you know as the sport gets older and some of our heroes of this generation you know start to have issues you know you look at people like Chuck Liddell um, those guys could start having some serious, serious issues. And then I think we need to reevaluate how we look at this stuff. I mean, this sport is, like you said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mark Coleman, Ken Shamrock, like yeah. all of these guys who were the pioneers of MMA. Like there's, there's no one from that generation that is like talking completely clearly. And no. like the GSPs and Habibs of the world are few and far between. Of these For people sure. who get out when they still have their faculties. For sure. It's um it's scary and it's not it's it's hard to watch, you know, and you and I are 
you and I are about as diehard as they come. But I mean, even a fight like that, it's like, man, it's hard to watch some guy that you know just has no shot of winning that fight just hang in there and take a beating. Like, like most of the roster will. I mean, these guys are the toughest athletes on the planet. You know they're going to stay in there, so someone's got to be responsible in that corner and look out for the long run of that fighter. But yeah, I, I would have liked to see that stop probably going into the fifth. Um, all right, let's move on, Billy. So again, another phenomenal performance from Holloway. Um, he's got nothing but big fights I, coming up for him. Um, all right, and a phenomenal skateboarder as well. It's pretty cool to see him skate skateboarding around uh, Fight Island there. Uh, all right, Billy, any other fights on this card you want to cover? Uh, I just want to shout out Lee Jinglang, the, the leech. Uh, very impressive performance. Knocked out former ranked welterweight uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. And kind of goes to show you, like, long layoffs in this sport rarely, rarely go well. Um, you know, Ponzinibbio was a guy who was considered, you know, a, a surefire top 10 fighter. And, you know, all of a sudden has some injuries, is out a year, and now, like, you know, he could be irrelevant very, very quickly here. So um, great, great win by Li Jinglang, though. The other thing I just want to talk about is, like, the UFC's place on TV, right? So this is obviously the first card on ABC. Um, it was a big deal, you know, made a big deal of. Everyone talks about how great the ESPN deal is, how much exposure there is. Um, it's obviously a lot of money for the UFC, but... This card did worse ratings than every single UFC on Fox card ever. And it was the first card in a month with a former champion in Max and a top five matchup headlining it. Like Mighty Mouse used to do two to three times that rating on Fox. And it was considered a huge ratings bust. I think it's time to think about like, are we actually getting closer to the mainstream with MMA, with the UFC or you know, is this sport getting more and more niche kind of the way of soccer maybe where there's a ton of fans in the U.S., but they're kind of scattered and it's not considered a big sport the way baseball, basketball, baseball are. Right. Football, I mean. Um, for me, uh, Carl, Carlos Condit was back in action, picks up his second win in a row against another vet and Matt Brown, who's now 40 years old. So uh, Carlos Condit, you know, looked looked pretty good um for what it is you know for where he's at in his career but he's a guy that was perennial you know kind of top top tier guy at welterweight through the wec years and into the ufc um but he went on a streak of losing five in a row from 16 to 18 um he's now got two wins in a row and still you know relatively serviceable i i don't want to see him fight anyone in the top 15, uh, but still, I think he could put on some fun fights with some of these older guys like Tim Means, maybe Robbie Lawler, James Krause, uh, Diego Sanchez, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, another good win for him. Um, and Dan Hardy, I want to give a shout-out to Dan Hardy. He did. He's fucking incredible on the, on the call. I love fight cards that Dan Hardy calls. He gets so, so into it. He's standing up the whole time, going crazy. And you can tell he's to me he's just one of the best in the business on the call. So uh, that was awesome. All right, let's move in, Billy, to the uh, Khabib's Khabib's uh, announcement. Carlos Condit, by the way, uh, end of his contract. So you could uh, yeah. you could see Bellator. some potential fights for him in Bellator or overseas too. For, for sure. Um, all right, Billy. I know you got some hot sports opinions on this one. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Dana White uh, Khabib announcement. Oh my God, this is such a joke to me. Like, 
Khabib is on like very obviously retired, very obviously done with fighting. Dana White has routinely said, if you're done with fighting, like you need to move on. Like he's always trying to get guys to retire. Now he sees like his cash cow in the Middle East with this new relationship with the UAE and all that, like, you know, the in the Muslim world, like he sees Khabib as his cash cow and that's dried up all of a sudden. So all of a sudden, Dana is super invested in getting Habib to fight again. Like, this is such a non-story to me. Calling this promotion is like a, a joke. Like, Dana's just trying to squeeze, you know, a few final impressions out of the Habib era. And, and like, you know, nothing's going to come of this. Like, Habib's not coming back. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I wasn't watching it live, and I was expecting to, you know, get on Twitter or YouTube, you know, a couple hours later and have some big announcement with, you know, announcements of Khabib coming back and he's going to fight the winner of Poirier and McGregor. And it was the biggest, like, one minute and 30, 30 second joke that I've ever seen. There, ESPN's comparing it to the LeBron decision. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally a non-story. And Dana White just being cheesy car salesman trying to build this fight when there's not much interest. Um, I did think it was interesting that Khabib did come out in an interview and he complimented Charles Oliveira. And I think that may be a sneaky fight that if Khabib did come back, that would be one he looks forward to. Because I think he sees that guy as the, the top contender and not, you know, McGregor or Justin or Connor. He's already, you know, beat them it's a about new face, as clean right? as he can. Yeah, for sure. And a guy with different skills, you know, that may push him and test him. But, um, yeah, that was a non-story for me. That was a waste of time. All right, let's move on to the Wednesday night card was Chiesa taking on Neil Magny at 170. Um, what were your Wednesday thoughts on night. this fight? Was it Wednesday? This was Wednesday. Wednesday in the middle of the day, my dude. Um, Billy, I struggle with middle of the week MMA. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Chiesa, man. I mean, dominated one of the best welterweight wrestlers for 25 minutes. Did it with grappling. 75% of that fight, Neil Magny's on his back while Kiesa's either smothering him, trying to take his back, trying to submit him, you know, hitting him in the face. Like, absolutely dominant. Showed no cardio issues at all his first time in the fourth and fifth rounds. Uh, not only does this guy belong in the top 10, but, like, he deserves a fight against one of the top five guys in this division based off this performance. For sure. I, I said the same thing. His pace, his cardio, everything seemed much improved. His grappling's a problem. I think this is just a case of a guy that once he finally found where his true weight class is, which is 170, clearly, um, his game just starts to fall in line and everything starts clicking on all cylinders. And I think that's where what you see at Michael Chiesa right now. Um, and I totally agree. He deserves a top five fight with, you know, those guys that are in that circle. So um, what did you make of his call out of Colby? Oh, I thought it was perfect. Yeah. Like, it's second, you know, second it's fight in a row, day. right? Second fight in a row. He calls him out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's inauguration day. Yeah. Obviously, like Colby's made waves with like the political gimmick. And he's like, the election's over. Your shtick is over. And I want you next. Like what a promo that is. That is so good. I love that. I yeah. thought that was like, I was, all of a sudden I was like, you know, who cares about Masvidal, Colby? We can put that off. Like, I want to see Michael Chiesa fight Colby Covington, a fight I never knew I wanted beforehand, but 
totally makes sense and was done very artfully by Michael Chiesa, who is also very good on those UFC studio shows, if you've ever seen him. For sure. Those. Yeah, he's he's definitely like Felder, you know, DC. That guy's got a career after he's done fighting in that. But um, yeah, I mean, outside of Masvidal and Usman, Colby's the next biggest name in the division. Um, he's stylistically probably one of the most challenging fights for Chiesa. And that's what he said in his interview is like, you know, flat out, if I want to be the best, I got to beat all these guys. So I want the hardest challenge, the biggest name available. And I think Colby makes sense, you know, especially if they can't come to terms on the uh, Masvidal-Colby fight. Um, yeah, I'm down with that. So, uh, well, And here's the thing, too, with Colby, right? Like, yeah. Other than Usman, I think he's by far the hardest challenge. For sure. And, like, you're not going to get the title fight. So, like, I applaud. I completely agree with you and applaud Michael Chiesa. He picked the toughest guy, the toughest matchup for him to fight, and it's not the biggest name. Like, Masvidal is as much of a reach as Colby with a much bigger name, in my opinion, but it's a way easier matchup. So, I I just think, like, I, I, I think that is, like, a very kind of noble thing from as an MMA fan that Michael Chiesa did giving the fans what would be a very high-level fight. Yeah, and if he can get a win against Colby, I mean, how, how could you deny him of a title shot? You know, so he's basically ca- calling a shot, you know, skipping the queue, and yeah, I mean, with a win against Colby, you're in into the title, title picture. So, um, all right, from, for Neil Magny, obviously a, a veteran that's been around forever. Uh, tough loss here after he'd broken into the top 10. Uh, where do you think he goes from here? I mean, he's won three straight. He's won five of six. I think he's proven that he's a fixture in this top 10, you know, kind of as, you know, that top 10 gatekeeper range. I kind of want to see him fight Tyron Woodley. I mean, you know, he's not a guy who's going to, like, absolutely blast Woodley and knock him out. Like, um, you know, a couple of wrestlers and, you know, kind of see, you know, two kind of veteran guys, like, you know, see who's who's still got it and who's kind of time to sunset. Yeah, you know how I, I don't need to see Woodley fighting any of these guys anymore. Um, I think it would or be the fighting si- at all anymore. Yeah, maybe fighting honestly. at all. You know, I I think it would be very very similar to the last three fights. Um, if he got matched up against Magny, for me, um, I like to see him fight Jeff Neal, who's coming off a tough loss to Wonder Boy, or like a Vicente Luque would be a good matchup. Um, all right, let's move on here, Billy. We're moving along. Um, any other fights of note on that card you wanted to cover? Only uh, great performance, Umar Nurmagomedov, uh, yeah. Habib's cousin. Uh, second round submission was very impressive. Um, absolutely dominated the fight. So definitely, you know, whenever you have that last name, I'm probably going to pay attention to you. So sure. um, definitely a guy I got my eye on. The other thing that's going to be interesting moving forward is like this card was clearly targeted at international audiences. Like mm-hmm. ton of international fighters. You know, time zone was for the UAE, you know, is obviously like counter programmed with the inauguration, which is one of the most watched events on us television on any given presidential election year. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think it's interesting. Like if they'll continue to do this and the UFC will continue to kind of seek, uh, you know, growing internationally rather than in the U S for sure. All right. Um, big, big fight card this weekend, Billy UFC 257 live on fight Island. Um, We've got two just absolute bangers in the main event and the co-main event. So let's start with the co-main event. We've got Michael Chandler making his long-awaited uh, debut in the UFC, and then you've got Dan Hooker, a guy that's you know came off 
several, several very exciting fights. Um, a top guy at the lightweight division right now. Um, how do you see this fight going down? I think this is an absolute brawl. Like, we talk about those fights that aren't going to suck. Like, right. I kind of see this fight as a sneaky one of those fights. Like, Michael Chandler, all-American wrestler. Don't get me wrong. He's great on the ground. He's great, you know, kind of with his wrestling. But that guy only really uses it if he has to. I mean, right. both of these guys typically come out swinging, typically try and knock the other person out. Um, I think this is going to be a really entertaining fight and really back and forth. For sure. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think this is going to start really fast. Um, after this, after the first round, you're going to get a good feel for how this fight's going to go down. Um, I think both guys want different things. You know, Dan Hooker's going to want to stay, you know, at distance a little bit, um, kind of weather that early storm because Michael Chandler's going to come after you and he's going to be super, super aggressive, try to hurt you early and try to get you out of there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is for me, this is a perfect matchup for Michael Chandler. This is a guy in Dan Hooker that's going to come. He's, he's going to fight you, going to make for an exciting fight. Um, and I, I think it's a big, big stage for both of these guys. So it's a super important fight and I think we're going to get chaos. I really do. Um, what, what do you think is kind of at stake for these two guys? I think right now there's a clear, you know, let's take Habib out of the mix. I think there's a clear top four at lightweight and the order is kind of up for debate, but Dustin, Connor, Justin, and Tony, and then, you know, Charles Oliveira is kind of now inserted himself above Tony. So there's really a top five. So whoever wins this fight will get to fight kind of the odd man out of all of those guys getting matched up, Right. That's typically what we've seen in the in the lightweight division is it's always kind of been a top five of guys. There's always one, and then there's always kind of one guy that gets left out, and like you get to be the Anthony Pettis for Tony Ferguson, right? Um, and like that's kind of how I see this is like whether they can't find a fight for Tony or can't find a fight for Justin or you know Charles decides to take another fight or it's Nate Diaz like whoever wins this fight is kind of in a pole position to get what I would consider like either a big money fight in Nate Diaz or like a number one contender type fight against like a Justin Gaethje or a Charles Oliveira. For sure. Um, yeah, this is a huge stage. Obviously it's a Conor McGregor pay-per-view, but there's so much at stake with Khabib, you know, Khabib's future kind of lingering out there. You've got Connor coming back into the mix. Nate Diaz has said he's coming down to 155. Um, I think this year is going to be the year of the lightweights. This is going to be a wild, wild year. Um, for Michael Chandler, this is his opportunity after all this time, you know, while he was fighting under the Bellator banner, there's there was always lingering doubt that, hey, is this guy really a top five fighter, you know, on the planet right now? And you and I both agreed in his prime. I, I think he was. But he's older now. His window is starting to narrow. He's got very, very little margin of error here. He's got to get in here. He's got to get a win if he wants to go on a run and try to get that UFC gold. Um, for Dan Hooker, a rising star, a rising star in this division, and he's became kind of a fan favorite. Um, I see him as being on kind of similar trajectory, trajectory as Justin Gaethje was kind of on his rise. And I think this is kind of a crossroads fight for Dan Hooker. He's had epic battles with Barboza and Felder and Poirier. And I'd like to see him turn a quarter here and kind of fight a little smarter, maybe a little more conservative, 
and fight the way that's going to make you a UFC champion. You know, when I, I don't think this brawling, crazy chaos fight, fight after fight is sustainable, and I don't think it's going to, you know, lead him to being a champion, which I think he's got the potential to be a champion in the mix with these guys. So, um, yeah, crazy fight. This is going to be a crazy fight, and it's going to kick off. Well- and, and Hooker, right, is a little bit at risk of occupying kind of the space that I think you and I both agree that Edson Barbosa was in for so long, right? Where you're kind of just outside that like elite, Felder, elite right? echelon of light of lightweight fighters, right? Yeah. And you never really get over, you know, you never win the big one, you know, whether it's a co-main on a pay-per-view right. or a main event fight night. Like, you never have that moment that gets you your title fight or even your number one contender fight. Like, right. Hooker is... If if Dan Hooker loses his fight, like he's kind of in that gatekeeper range, right? Like he kind right. of is that Paul Felder, Edson Barbosa, very, very, very good fighter, but just not at that upper echelon level. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think this is kind of a crossroad fight, a fight, crossroad fight for both guys. You know, Dan Hooker's kind of you know hit the ceiling of where he can be with the crazy brawler so he's got to kind of make a decision does he want to be the brawler or does he want to be the ufc champion and then for michael and chandler, then chandler I mean, yeah you're, you could end up ben Askren. you know for you sure. you handle for this sure. poorly like for sure. people you become kind of a laughing stock right yeah. if you get ko'd or beat up whatever like but for sure. then there, the flip side is you become like any of these strike force guys and like you know, if Michael Chandler was fighting for a UFC belt at some point over the next calendar year, I wouldn't be surprised. No, absolutely not. All right, Billy, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm going to take Dan Hooker by decision. I think this is okay. a really close fight. Yeah, I think it's going to be a chaotic fight. I don't think that Dan Hooker is going to mature and be kind of conservative like I would like to see him. Um, I think it's going to be a war. I do think Dan Hooker is going to catch Michael Chandler. And I think he puts him away late, maybe with a you know knee right up the middle or something like that. Um, so I'm going Dan Hooker, third round knockout. All right. So we got that one out of the way. Billy, the king is back. Let's, uh, let's dive right in. We've got Conor McGregor back in action this weekend, taking on one of our favorite fighters, Dustin Poirier. Um, two guys that are absolute legends of the sport. Um, probably two of the best fighters of our generation. Um, what are your initial thoughts on the matchup and kind of the lead up, you know, to the fight this Saturday? Yeah, I think it feels really subdued from a promotion standpoint. Like I don't feel the hype for this card that I even felt for Cowboy against Connor. Um, and like the UFC had a month to promote this, so I don't, I don't know if it's the pandemic or you know, politics kind of like overriding all of it or what, but like this is shockingly under the radar for a Conor McGregor card. But I think what I find interesting is like, I think we have to get used to respectful Conor. I think the days of like braggadocious talk shit Conor are kind of behind him, to be honest. I think think it's also this division, like this division at the moment, Khabib, has kind of asserted himself as the alpha male. And then you've got all these guys that are veterans, you know, and they're kind of beyond the shit. And studs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. really great fighters. Yeah, and I think they all respect each other. And I agree. I was thinking about that today. I'm like, I don't really think you're going to see a lot of nasty buildups anymore. 
you know, outside of like maybe some shit with Justin Gaethje, he's a little fiery or if, you know, but Nate Diaz. yeah, Nate Diaz for, for sure. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about that today. That's a weird dynamic, but th- that's how I see it. Like Khabib's the man, everyone knows that. And then the top five, like anyone could get it any day. So it's a, uh, very interesting, but I agree. It's been, I don't know if it's the elections and the news or what it is, but it does not feel anywhere near a Conor McGregor fight week. Um, I personally am much more excited about this fight than I was the Cowboy fight, but I went to the Cowboy. too. Yeah, I went. It's a way I, better fight. Oh, for sure. I, I went to the Cowboy fight live, and I thought that was a little subdued from a Conor from a Connor lead up, you know, just being there live in Vegas. And, uh, this feels even, even lesser, you know, of a buildup. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see how this does numbers, numbers wise. Cause even like the people that usually reach out to me about, Hey, you know, who do I pick this week? And I'm not, it's like a little bit of cricket. So it's a little weird, but, um, do you think they should have put a belt on the line? I think so. I think that would have got more buzz. Too. Um, you know, and I think if they did that, I think you see more heat from Connor. I think you see more of the mental kind of warfare from Connor. Um, but And, like, why not? It doesn't make – like, I, I'm not sitting there thinking to myself, like, wow, Justin Gaethje's the uncrowned champ. Like, No, for sure not. Yeah, they, they should at least made this an in, interim title, but um, whatever, whatever. It's uh, Connor McGregor's back. Dustin Poirier's here this weekend. So, all right, Dustin made some statements about the idea of wanting to drag Connor into a war. Did you have any thoughts on that? Isn't that his strategy in every fight? I mean, that's kind of what he does every fight, right? Like he's he tries to get a brawl going. Like, and look, that's a good strategy for Dustin because ninety nine percent of these guys, he's tougher, he's more durable, he's got a better chin, and he's a guy who he's not technically special anywhere. Like the way that Connor is with striking, or the way that Habib is with wrestling, like. Dustin doesn't have that like that level of skill where he can dominate elite guys, but he's very well balanced. So a brawl suits him because he can fight anywhere and he can be competent and stay in a fight at any moment. And then the second you make a mistake, the second you get tired, Dustin jumps on you, smells blood in the water and puts you to sleep. I agree. I, I think Dustin's got to ease into this fight, though. Um, Conor McGregor's got one punch knockout ability like no one else outside of maybe Francis Ngannou. Um, on the roster right now. So uh, Dustin needs to ease into this. If he goes, you know, wailing forward, trying to push the pace too early, I could see him getting knocked out viciously. Um, So let's talk about Dustin, kind of his strategy and what you think he needs to do to get the victory here. I think you're 100% right of easing into this fight. I think Conor McGregor, if we've seen weaknesses from him, it's the cardio, right? Right. What does he look like in the third, fourth, fifth rounds? That's when Dustin's at its best. Like, you think about, you know, the fight with Justin Gaethje, right? You know, getting to that, you know, getting to that, by the time that fourth round came around, even though Gaethje won the first two rounds, by the fourth round, he was in Dustin's world. I mean, he he was literally, like, he was sluggish. He was not moving correctly. Um, you know, you think about the Max Holloway fight, how good he was in the fourth and fifth rounds there. Um, it's just, and obviously the most recent performance with Dan Hooker, it is, it is to Dustin's advantage to weather the storm early and by three, four and five, be ready to kind of unleash the beast when Connor is probably at his worst. 
Yeah, um, for me, if I'm Dustin Poirier, I ease into this fight. You know, I stay safe round one, round two. I'm hacking at his leg. I'm taking out Connor's lead leg. Um, what that's going to do, that, that saps the power. You know, he chips away at that calf, at that leg of that lead front leg. That's going to start zapping the power of Connor. And by round three, round four, he doesn't have that power there. Um, then, like you said, just chip away, chip away, chip away, stay safe. Kind of Nate Diaz strategy, honestly. Kind of lay low the first two two rounds. Just touching. Just yeah, touch and try, move, try, touch and move. Try not to get knocked out the first two. Obviously, you don't want to take any clean shots. Um, then, round three, round four. Connor's. This is Connor's first cut back to 155. So, round three, round four, I expect him to slow, You know, especially if he's going to push a fast pace in the, in the beginning to try to get Dustin out of there in 60 seconds like he says he does. So, yeah, Nate Diaz strategy. You know, wear him down, chip away, get him up against the fence, beat him up, threaten takedowns. Um, just make it a grinder of a fight. And I think one of Dustin's biggest, biggest advantages is – you know, and all this time that Connor's been off and not active in MMA, Dustin's been in there grinding and fighting the best of his weight class in five round fights. So you look at his track record, he's sub Showtime Pettis in the third, TKO'd Justin Gaethje in the fourth, TKO'd Eddie Alvarez late late in the second, won a five round war against both Max Holloway and Dan Hooker. Um, Connor's really never been outside of the third round, outside of Diaz two which went the distance in Khabib, which what he finished in the third or the fourth, the fourth. So those are out of all Connor's fights. Those are the only two that he's been out of the third round. So uh, that's definitely something to look at because if, you know, Connor starts getting tired in the third and the fourth, like you said, that's Dustin's world. That's when he goes to work. He gets confidence that he's not going to get knocked out with one shot. He's going to feel Connor's, you know, timing and press him against the fence and start going to work. So, yeah, the way I see it kind of in a nutshell, Connor's a sprinter, Dustin's a marathon racer, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, Billy, talk a little bit about Connor's route to victory here. Yeah, I think Connor's ability to win any fight, regardless of the skill set of his opponent, is really like his ability to get his reads quickly. Right. I mean, Connor is a master at reading body language, reading little tells that we would never be able to see as you know amateur fighters or amateur eyes to right. fights, um, and and getting those reads because he's a counterpuncher through and through and. What he needs to do in this fight is he needs to bait Dustin into throwing early. You know, I think if Dustin is smart, like we could see very early on of like very little action this kind of going kind of be, on. I could see this fights. being kind of a boring fight, you know, in the first couple of rounds. Early, yeah, early, yeah, yes, for sure. Um, if it's going Dustin's way, but if Connor, Connor's also a master at getting these guys to just rush in and throw. Right. Like that, whatever mental warfare he does to get these guys to like abandon the smart game plan, right. rush in, try and hit this guy square in the face with the hardest punch you can throw. Right. And then he just reads it and just hits these guys precise on the chin. I mean, that's the technical striking that kind of has defined Connor McGregor's career. So, you know, the more that he can get Dustin to throw early, make his reads and counter punch, the better chance he has of winning this fight. Yeah, and and Connor, for me, everyone knows what Connor's weapon is. It's that left hand. You know, he has all the flash, the teep kicks, the spinning roundhouses, the flying shit, the spinning shit. But at the end of the day, it's all used to manipulate you to lead you onto that left hand. And Connor is absolutely phenomenal at it. And um, 
Yeah, I think for Connor, I mean, he's he's got to do what he always does. You know, use the flashy kicks, attack. You know, attack low, mix up the striking, walk Dustin up against the fence, and then lead him into that left hand. Um, also, what Connor's phenomenal at is you you said it, the counter punching. So Dustin cannot afford to get sloppy at any point in this fight. You know, if he starts wing, because Dustin likes to wing those long hooks. And if he starts getting sloppy and Connor's slipping and countering those, it only takes one or two of those, and Connor's going to put the lights out. So um, that's something to look out for. Um, for Connor, I, I think he needs to get in there and try to make quick work of Dustin. Um, I think the longer the fight goes, the more that this sways to Dustin's advantage and the more it goes into Dustin's world. Um, so that was one point for me. Uh, managing the distance. He needs to keep dis- Dustin at distance. You know, where Connor, Connor can hit him with that long reach, Dustin can't get in close and beat him up and land, you know, long combos. So manage the distance with your kicks. Um, and then just some mental warfare. I know you haven't seen a lot of this with Connor, but I, I can guarantee you when he gets into that ring, into that octagon after only fighting 40 seconds in 2020, um, you're going to see the Connor of old. He's going to come out. He's going to be talking shit. He's going to be, when he hits Dustin, you know, letting him know it. And that can fuck with you. And then just the overall aura of being in there with Connor McGregor in the first fight back with limited fans. Um, it's a, it's a big spot. Dustin's been in big spots in his career, but nothing, nothing is like being in there with Connor McGregor. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I had for Connor. Um, Let's see here. What else? Um, what do you have any concerns about the cardio or Connor dropping back down to 155 for the first time in a while? Uh, or how do you how have you felt in general about what you've seen from Connor and kind of the lead up to this? I mean, honestly, I think he's been really mature and like has seemed really mature kind of throughout all of this, you know, pandemic and you know, even with kind of his quote unquote season getting canceled, like you're just not hearing kind of the same problems that you used to hear. Like he's posting stuff of him in the gym a lot. And um, it, it just seems, he seems much calmer, much more collected and seems like he's, he's generally, generally kind of uh, regained the love he, he had for martial arts and for competing like this. And I just I I think he seems very motivated and very in shape and um you know we'll see but uh, cardio is always a concern with Connor even when he's in great shape um but I I do think like he seems every bit as motivated and every bit as in shape as we've kind of ever seen him um in the octagon I I agree I I think he's at a point in his life where he's he's a family man now he's not you know global superstar that has everyone. You know, basically kiss, kissing his ass. He's just not pushing businesses left and right. They're really the last, really since the cowboy fight. Um, all you see from him is, you know, pictures with his family, pictures of him in the gym, pictures of him working with the McGregor fast system. Um, and I, I feel like a motivated, dedicated, focused Conor McGregor is still at you know whatever age he is, thirty one, thirty two years old, one of the best fighters on the planet. And we haven't seen that in a long time, you know, in the last four to five years. You haven't seen that Connor you saw on the rise when he was just butchering everyone in the 145 class, 
or when he went. The cowboy fight yeah. was a glimpse. Yeah, it was a glimpse that the old that the old Connor could come back for sure. It was a forty second glimpse of like, wow, that may be the old Connor. That may be one of the best fighters on the planet. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing two guys that are at the top of their craft. You know, two of the best lightweights of all time. Just getting in there and going after it, and I I expect fireworks. I I think this is going to be phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I'm super pumped. But Billy, let's uh, we got to wrap it up here. I'm going to go ahead and take the bold prediction. I'm going Connor via second round TKO. We a hundred percent agree. Yeah. I have Connor via second round TKO. Yeah. I think the idea that this looks very similar to the Eddie Alvarez fight for Connor is kind of how I see this fight going, but. Like we, I completely agree with you. The longer this goes, the better it goes for Dustin Poirier. And I just think the problem is Poirier has been very hittable throughout his career. So yeah. I'm with you. Connor via yeah, second and round that's, that's We're not taking anything away from Dustin. I think he's one of the best fighters in the world. But like, like I said, a focused Connor McGregor, I think, is on different levels than the rest of the guys not named Khabib in this weight class. So, all right, Connor McGregor back in action this week. A huge, huge fight card for the lightweight division. Billy, we were a little rusty, but I think we got it done. Parker's MMA show, episode 60 tonight. Just rolling them out. We're looking forward to a big 2021. Um, We'll keep the content rolling. We'll be bringing in new interviews and stuff. So, Billy, glad to be back on the mic tonight. I've got to run off to medieval times uh, to go celebrate, drink some beer, and maybe get in a fist fight or something with a knight. But uh, any closing words from you? Hey, make sure you pack extra napkins because you got to eat the chicken with your hands. For sure. All right, everyone. uh, Enjoy the fights. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit ParkerKeensMMAShow.Podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.